welcome to Corpus Christi Anglican Church. I'm Morgan, our planting clergy. Our vision of this church is to become a common people in common prayer for uncommon transformation. This podcast is where you will hear our sermons and other teachings that have happened at Corpus Christi. We primarily serve the region of Springfield, Franconia, and Kingstown. We're glad that you're here. Thanks for taking time to listen. Here's the message. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, Lord, I think about this um, song that we just sang earlier, that if we tarry until we're better, we will never come at all. And so, Lord, we pray that just like this man, we would come to you expectant of your healing, that we wouldn't wait until we feel ready, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I don't know how many of you are runners. Uh, I'm not. I don't know if you could tell. I'm not a runner. But I know many, and I do like to run on occasion. Um, I remember a friend of mine who is a real runner. Like, this person did marathons and did weekend trips and things. This person, one time when they were uh, running, they tore their ACL. It was terrible. It was heartbreaking. And, and when they did that... Uh, This was, running had been the thing that they just spent all their extra time doing. It gave them life. And so having their ACL put them uh, broken, put them out of commission for at least like eight months, it seemed like. And as that person healed, my friend, I'm sure that it was tempting for them to think, well, you know, it doesn't feel as bad as it used to. The pain's starting to subside. Maybe I'm ready to run again. It's tempting for their enthusiasm for running to outpace the actual health of their limb in order to get back to the thing that they love doing. If that friend were to ditch the crutches and the boot too early and start running again, if they were to re-injure that leg, the damage could have been permanent, or at least it would have been worse than it was before. Maybe it would take two years to heal rather than one. Just because the pain had gone or had subsided, did not mean that they were healthy enough to run again. Instead, they needed to cultivate habits of health that focused on building strength, uh, enough for them to walk first and then to run. And when we consider our new life that's in Christ, we have been given every divine gift, as Ephesians says. But we do have yet to see God's gifts that he's given to us actualized And completely transform every area of our lives. We still have these areas that are in deep need of healing. And places that we need to give our attention to. And we should give time and attention. And our focus to the help and the health that we need from God. To live the new life of Christ in every part of our lives. In the book of Ephesians, which is where we have been over the last several months. St. Paul ends the book in this really strong note. Uh, He ends by focusing on the health of the church. He's essentially telling them not to allow their enthusiasm for the new life in Christ to outpace the health and habits of virtue and in their union with Christ. The new life in Christ is going to be met with strategic opposition. And so we are called to prepare for it. In the final half of the book of Ephesians, St. Paul is stressing our oneness as the body of Christ. Our differences 
even in our differences, we are one in the body of Christ. He describes the new life in Christ like clothes at one point. Talking about putting off the old man. Putting on the new man. And we're not to live in the slander and the envy, the sexual immorality that had characterized our time of darkness. But we're to live as children of the Heavenly Father, walking in the light. As Father Ryan preached about a few weeks ago. He's called us then to be careful how we walk. Not getting drunk with wine, but instead being filled with the Holy Spirit. And being filled with the Holy Spirit characterizes the life of the church. He mentions in song. And he also mentions that in the book of Colossians. Uh, And then he mentions it in submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. We talked about how that looks in the household last week. We come to the final section now in the book of Ephesians. That reminds the Ephesians of the reality of spiritual evil. And that there are beings that are at war with our unity in the church. And with our new life that we have in Christ. To focus on the health and the help that we need from God, we have to first properly identify who our enemy actually is. And then we have to accept and we have to cultivate all the divine gifts that have been given to us in that new life in Christ. So first, let's talk about who our actual enemy is. Properly identifying the enemy. St. Paul, he makes himself sound Somewhat like a military commander in this, in this last section. Giving a final charge to the troops who are about to enter into battle. And so there are people that we're going to run into. There are words that are going to be spoken to us. There are words that we might actually be speaking. There are things that are going to be done to us. And life circumstances that are going to threaten the course that we're on as sons and daughters of Christ. Of God the Father. And and because of that, it's tempting, uh, I should say, because of that, it's actually imperative that we recognize who the actual enemy is and what kinds of strategies he uses. Verse 12 says this. It says, for we do not wrestle with flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces Of evil in the heavenly places. It was common in St. Paul's day. In uh, in Hellenistic paganism. To see astral bodies as deities. Things like the moon. The stars. The sun. Those things were seen as actual gods by the people. So then later on. Jewish writers and Christian writers. They gave a demotion to those deities. uh, Putting them at the rank of demons. In other words disembodied creatures, not creators, creatures. There are things that are going on around us that you and I are not always attuned to that we can't see. And so it's good for us to be reminded of that. It's good for us to acknowledge that. Satan, the evil one, attacks in very subtle ways. And and that's why St. Paul calls them strategies or wiles. There's a lot of thought behind them. Uh, It's not happenstance. And we have places that you and I are vulnerable, where we are susceptible uh, to forget that we have a new life in Christ. All of us have a different one. And perhaps that's because of the habits that we learned in our families, or the culture that we grew up in, or just things that we've picked up along the way. One commentator helpfully said, evil rarely looks evil, 
until it accomplishes its goal. It gains entrance by appearing attractive, desirable, and perfectly legitimate. It is a baited and camouflaged trap. So when I think about Satan using military precision, I can't help but think of the book, The Screwtape Letters. Many of you uh, may have read this book by C.S. Lewis. If you haven't, I would recommend it to you. It is on Audible, pretty inexpensive. Um, So you can listen to it as well. If you've read it, it's worth reading again. It's a fictional book, but it's very real in in the way only fiction can be. And, And in this book, there's an older demon named Screwtape who's writing letters and giving advice to a younger demon who's named Wormwood. He's training him on how to keep people from trusting in Christ, following the commandments of Christ, uh, and as well as how to keep Christians from living into their new life that they have in Christ. Screwtape begins chapter 2 by saying, My dear Wormwood, I know with grave displeasure that your patient has become a Christian. There is no need to despair. Hundreds of these adults, uh, of these adult converts have been reclaimed after a brief sojourn in the enemy's camp. In other words, God's camp. And, and are now with us. All the habits of the patient, both mental and bodily, are still in our favor. In other words, habits may either be used to strengthen the new life that we have in Christ, or they can uh, be a covering for those places of spiritual vulnerability that we have, where the enemy would like to derail us from our new life that we have in Christ. There are some new ways that I'd like to cultivate prayer together uh, on Sundays and in the future. Because we've been in, in this place, you know, since June, we set up and we tear down every week. And, and when that happens, um, we have to be out of here fairly quickly, right? And so that's been our rhythm. And we haven't been able to establish some of the prayer rhythms that I think can be really helpful for us as we enter worship. Uh, And then as we go from here into the week ahead. I mean, just this morning, Father Ryan and I were in the back uh, praying in in the vesting room, we'll call it. Um, And, you know, but having more time for that would be really helpful. When we get into our next space, one of the things that I want to work towards is a prayer ministry uh, of people who are trained to regularly pray for others in the congregation. So that every week after you receive communion, there will be two prayer ministers in the back, who are there ready to pray for you after you receive the Eucharist. Um, And then doing that is a way to frame the week ahead by the work of the Holy Spirit. I think it keeps us attentive to the ways that, and it keeps us sensitive to those places where we are vulnerable for attack and those places that God wants to strengthen. So if you're interested in doing that kind of ministry, I would love for you to come tell me Uh, And we can discern that together. I want to be training people in that so that we can have that going pretty soon into being in the next space. So we've seen how important it is to understand who our enemy is. That it's not flesh and blood. It's not the person who said this thing to you. Uh, It's not even the word spoken to you. But it's the evil powers who exploit our vulnerabilities. uh, uh, Sorry, our vulnerabilities with military precision. And want to derail us from the new life that we have in Christ. And then second. We have to accept and cultivate all of the divine gifts that we have been given in Christ. 
In verses 13 through 17, St. Paul tells Christians to put on the whole armor of God. Where is he getting that language? If you go back to the Old Testament, which is St. Paul's Bible, it's likely an allusion to Isaiah 59, 17, uh, and other places in the book of Isaiah, where God himself fights on behalf of his people, and his armor is described in those passages. Like in 59, 17, it talks about God fighting with the breastplate of righteousness. And God is, in this case then, what he's saying is God is giving his people... The very armor with which he himself fights. And so let's look at those pieces of armor. First, he describes the belt of truth. We can't expect to do great things for God if we are not being honest about our life with God. Right? If it's like we saying, uh, you know, if you tarry until you're better, you will never come at all. So come in honesty and vulnerability to God. If we're not honest about what's broken, it's hard to fix it. Next, he mentions the breastplate of righteousness. The righteousness is this virtue that the believer lives out personally, being upright in their deeds and with their dealings with others. It's also got a social component. And so we should be a voice that calls out for justice in the world. We are to bind up our feet with the gospel of peace. The peace that we have with God protects our feet when we have to walk into dangerous places and and bring peace where there's human hatred and where there are fractured relationships. He mentions the shield of faith with which with which quenches. uh, Sorry, he mentions the shield of faith and the shield of faith quenches the fiery arrows of the enemy. The faith that's handed down to us has the resources that we need to stand firm. Are we drawing on those teachings and the habits of the faith that are handed down to us through the centuries of work of the Holy Spirit in the church? And finally, take up the helmet of salvation. The recognition that we are always in need of God's deliverance and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. One of those resources that we have uh, in the church's tradition, in the faith, I don't know if you've heard of this tradition, but it's called the seven deadly sins. And just to name a few, if you're not familiar, a few of these are pride or gluttony, despondency, envy. The tradition actually stems from a man named Evagrius of Pontus, who lived about 300 years after the time of Jesus, who recognizes that there are deadly thoughts that demons will use to draw us away from the life that we have in God. And one of the many helpful books that Evagrius has written is called the Antiretikos, which one translator has translated as talking back. Um, he takes the idea of spiritual warfare very seriously and has gone through what he considers to be eight deadly thoughts. And he's written a scripture manual of verses and passages to speak back to different demons and demonic thoughts. So he says, In the time of struggle, when the demons make war against us and hurl their arrows at us, let us answer them from the Holy Scriptures, lest the unclean thoughts persist in us, enslave the soul through sin uh, of actual deeds, and so defile it and plunge it into the death that's brought by sin. What he does then for each sin is to take a thought that might enter into our minds 
For example, with vainglory, if we're tempted by the thought that we might become famous before all people, then he gives an antidote. In that case, he quotes Isaiah chapter 10, verse 16. What he's done is he has scoured all the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. Uh, and he sought the Spirit's guidance through the scriptures for these moments of tempting thoughts. Internalizing the Word of God through study, through memorization, prayer, and the liturgy are the sword of the Spirit. It's the sword that the Spirit uses to ward off the attacks of the enemy. And so it should be one of our major habits. If you look at all these pieces of armor, this is really the only one that has any offensive value amongst the others. All of this, this armor, is undergirded by a life of constant prayer. And so St. Paul reminds us in verse 18. He says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. The forces of the evil one do all kinds of things to distract us from our new life in Christ. And I was thinking about some of the ways that this happens. And here's just a small sample of what I was brainstorming about. There are many more than these. You know, getting us to argue about trivial things, making mountains out of molehills at church and at home. Introducing a desire for the appearance of success and well-connectedness in an area where status is really highly prized. Granting us a sense of entitlement to certain material well-being. Overwhelming us with a discontentment about the way things are right now. Distracting us with a sense of virtue and justice about uh, things that are out of our control, which in the screw tape letters, uh, C.S. Lewis calls the realm of fantasy. In other words, being so concerned with appearing just in the things out there, we're distracted from what justice looks like with our neighbors and what love looks like with our neighbors. Instilling a sense of that our working hours define who we are in our identity. And keeping a defensive posture rather than seeking to be honest about what sinful patterns may have shaped us, what may have shaped our church, what may have shaped even our nation. I could keep going. But the point isn't that we just list out a bunch of things as a self-examination. There are lots of good self-examinations out there. The point is that God has given us the gifts and the virtues that we need to guard against the attacks of the evil one and to live in health and wholeness in our new life in Jesus Christ, if we would just be attentive and prayerful. So remember, we should give our time and our focus and our attention to the help and the health that we need from God to live out this new life that we have in Christ that's been exposited for us in the latter half of the book of Ephesians, really through the whole book of Ephesians. We've seen that it involves properly identifying the enemy. It's not flesh and blood. And then living into and cultivating those divine gifts that have been given to us in Christ. The new life in Christ is hard work. Remember that, right? If it feels like it's hard work, it is. Uh, Because it's with military precision that the evil one targets those vulnerable, vulnerable places in us where we have yet to actualize that new life in Christ. That uh, in our old habits of mind and body. So let's prepare ourselves in a life of prayer and formation to embody truth, righteousness, the gospel of peace, and the faith. Always relying on God's salvation, his deliverance, and for his spirit to speak through the word of God. 
Let's become a community that's attentive to spiritual attack. And continue in prayer. Both for yourselves and for one another in this room. And beyond. Let me pray for us as we close. O God, our King, by the resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ, on the first day of the week, you conquered sin, put death to flight, and gave us the hope of everlasting life. Redeem all our days by this victory. Forgive our sins. Banish our fears. Make us bold to praise you and to do your will. And steal us to wait for the consummation of your kingdom on the last great day. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.